This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. Oh, that was really interesting, mate, yeah. Welcome, listeners, to the Extra Inch podcast. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hello, mate. Good to speak to you both, Bardi. Happy New Year to you. Is it too late to say that? I don't know. I never know when the cutoff is. How are you doing, Bards? I'm good, thanks. No, you're still allowed to say. It's good to be back. Sorry I missed um, the other one, the the last one I was away. Yeah, how was your trip? It was amazing. I highly recommend South Africa. There's some crazy stuff going on there and some really kind of inspiring stuff as well. Nice, 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 nice. Um, as we mentioned before, we love doing this podcast, but we can't keep asking Nathan to keep producing it for free. So we're looking for a sponsor during the second half of the season. Get in touch if you're interested in helping out at the Extra Inch at thefightingcock.co.uk. And Nathan and I want to say thank you to the Reddit community because we both were winners in their best of 2018 um, thread vote thing. I was uh, voted best youth specialist. I'm going to say that was in a very narrow field, i.e. of one. So I'm not taking a lot of credit for that. But Nathan won best analysis, partly for his work on this podcast. Um, And obviously that's a much larger field. So well done, Nathan. And we've decided that um, we've been given coins as a result of winning this. If you know what they are, you know what they are. Um, And we're going to award a gold award to the first person to post this podcast up on its release and a silver to the person who posts the best comment in that thread. So, um, yeah, look out for that. Um, We're going to talk about what's happened post-Wolves first because last time we spoke, we just sort of suffered that defeat. It's been three wins. Cardiff, Tranmere and Chelsea. Three very different performances, but all with the same outcome. Um, We'll probably focus on Chelsea because I think there's the most interest there. And we had a question from uh, the Zenspur who said, was the defensive win against Chelsea evidence of a tactic we can employ in the future, or did we simply fail to impose our original game plan and get lucky that Chelsea didn't really carry a a goal threat? And this is, I think it's a really interesting point, because it's something we've spoken about before, particularly with the, I think, the Dortmund game last season. Uh, The same sort of thing happened. We changed our style, and we were trying to work out whether it was deliberate or whether it was an in-game style. Nathan, what what did you make of the Chelsea game? You were there. How did you feel? How did you feel about tactics? Was this deliberate? 
Yeah, I think when you're a match in person, you can you can really feel the momentum more so than you can when you're you're watching it. And it definitely felt like Chelsea sort of had taken the game away from us. Um, not that like we're ever completely unprepared for that. You know, we we know our defensive shape, and we won't get too nervous if we're forced to sit in it. But I think that I I don't think it was a case of us, you know, trying to shut the game down. I think it was Chelsea having the ball and keeping the ball pretty well. But, you know, as the um, question mentioned, not being especially fruitful with it. And Bardi, what were your takeaways from the Chelsea match? I thought Chelsea were excellent. I I really can't enjoy it because I don't like Chelsea and I don't want them to win. But you could really see what they were doing. And they definitely flipped it. Sari, who I thought was kind of a, a stuck in the mud and a stickler for his style of play, changed it up a bit. They were switching the play excellent. They were using... Um, Adoy on on the on their right hand side, and I thought they played really well. And you could see how they were forcing us, and how they how far, far back they pushed us. I was sat behind um, the Gazaniga's goal for the first half, and it was quite evident that people around me were getting quite nervous on how we continue to try to play at the back despite um, despite the high press. There was quite a few people shouting to Gazaniga just to hit it long, which I thought was a bit counterintuitive because as soon as we did. Their biggest fear of, of us keeping it short was losing the ball. But as soon as we hit it long, we, more often than not, we lost it. So I think it was quite brave from Tottenham to keep playing versus that press. But I, I definitely think um, Sari had a match for us there. And it was definitely our resilience that got us through in the end. I think Pochettino, he's, he would have learnt a little bit from that. I totally agree. I think um, it was a sort of a, an unpopular opinion. But I actually thought that we played well in this game from a certainly from a defensive perspective, and we, we ground out a win. And quite often we've been accused of not being able to do that, so it was quite pleasing for me to see that we can. Mm. Um, particularly given our central midfield, how much we've flogged them over the past month, how limited they are in, in certain ways, we kept Chelsea at bay. They played well. hudson Adoy had a really good first half. Other players came into it in the second. But they didn't create a great deal. There wasn't anything that scared me. I think um, what was really evident is that we really missed the left-footed centre-back there because when they pressed us and it went wide to Alderweireld, he didn't have the means. I mean, he's pretty good in his left foot. We've seen him pass it well, but under pressure, like he was, I think we really saw the the problem of not having a left-sided centre-back there where we couldn't really cut it in and knock it inside to to Ericsson. I think perhaps Ericsson could have come a little bit deeper in that first half. In the second half, we saw Winks coming very deep to help out help out with the press. So I think Ericsson and Winks perhaps should have helped out a little bit because quite often it was Sissoko coming back. And as much as I admire Sissoko for how he's become quite a useful player, the moment he receives it facing our goal 20 yards out, I do still feel a little bit nervous. So I think that Ericsson should have stepped up a little bit in that first half. I think that's a fair point. Ericsson didn't have his best game. And you, you've sort of addressed the um, the Gazaniga point, but I just want to talk about it a bit more because there were lots of calls across Twitter, across social media, and I heard also on the um, uh, Wheeler Did a Radio uh, podcast people saying that they felt Gazaniga's distribution wasn't good. Um, I actually felt the opposite. I, he made a couple of errors, sure. He, he played one straight into touch and he sort of P-rolled one into the midfield area. But he had the ball at his feet a hell of a lot. And I thought generally he seemed pretty calm and assured. Um, I don't mind him putting a ball into touch. That's away from the goal. That's fine as an as a occasional mistake. You know, God knows Hugo Lloris has done that many, many times. And I thought he generally used the ball really well, made himself an option to receive it, tried to help us um, break the press. 
And like you say, Bardi, it was more down to the lack of options in midfield coming deep to receive it um, that, that caused us nervous moments. I was quite impressed with the, the willingness of the centre-backs and the goalkeeper to try and play out as much as possible. Nathan, how did you feel about that? Was it different at the game? Uh, definitely felt the nervousness and, and, and uh, the sort of the vocalised fear. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm more your sides than the opposite. I think he certainly distributed the ball better than Lloris would have done in those circumstances, um, which doesn't mean I'm saying that I want Gazaniga to start league games over Lloris. It just means that that's you know, an upside of him starting. And, and Bardi, where are you on Gazaniga now? Because I know at the start you were very unsure about him. I remember you saying that he can't catch and you were very generally concerned about his abilities. How do you feel about him now? I'm still unsure about him as a starting goalkeeper, but he's definitely proved himself the best number two at our club. He's good with his feet. He's a decent shot stopper, which you kind of expect for anyone playing in goal at that level. I still think he's really susceptible on crosses and I'm unsure of him there. But um, as a number two, he's fine. He, Loris is still the better goalkeeper. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think uh, he, he's the best number two we've had since Loris was number two to Brad Frieder when he initially came in. Or and since um, since Vaughan stopped being any good. Because Vaughan was a great number two, but he, was he? fell off a cliff. I think uh... he was good. He's, fell, he's fallen off a cliff. Yeah, maybe. I've always liked him. I mean, um, same, I used to like him a lot. No, nah, never, never been a Vaughan fan myself. Never been a Vaughan fan. I always felt he was not at all proactive enough. Um, maybe I was judging him too harshly. But I, li- I do like Gazaniga. He seems to be a popular character too, which always helps. Uh, <coughs> the fact that he's big is, is helpful, as that, that diving backwards save showed. I don't think either of our two goalkeepers would have saved that. I think that was a really impressive save, actually. Although he did seem to go with his wrong hand. Um, but yeah, really interesting game against Chelsea. I felt to answer, to address the Zen Spurs question, I think it may have been more deliberate than previous matches because our fullbacks were so narrow. We haven't seen that very often, but you know, Trippier and Rose were very tucked in, and often that gave Hudson Odoi more space to play with, but restricted the end product. So ultimately, it worked, and I think Pochettino takes credit for that. Um, I would like uh, I would like to add as well, but I don't think we got lucky because Chelsea didn't carry a goal for it. I think had they played Giroud or Morata as a number yeah. nine, their pressing wouldn't have been as intense or as mobile. So they what they gained by having a fluid front three, they would have lost had they had a number nine. But then perhaps they would have gained by having a target. So it, Asari had a choice, and I I think he went for the option he thought was best, and it, it nearly almost worked worked did you want to jump in there as well Nate? no no i just think that that's that's sort of the really interesting question mark for the for the return leg is is you know can they control the game if they take out what's probably going to be hudson Adoy um for more of a target and how does that affect the game i think that's that's the the interesting question to be asked absolutely i mean the second their press drops we start counter-attacking and, and what happens at Stamford Bridge happens again, potentially. I, I've got no doubt about the fact that them playing that lineup is as much a defensive tactic as anything else. And it's... if they change it, it benefits us as well. Totally agree with that with that comment. Um, so we've got United coming up and we'll, we'll try and get this podcast out um, before the United game. Bardi, we, we, Nathan and I spoke about the links with Pochettino to United, but it'd be good to get your thoughts. How, how do you feel about this link? What do you think? 
it's going to happen at the end of the season? Do you think his head's been turned? If I'm going to remove myself from here from being a Tottenham fan, I think this is the smartest move for Pochettino because he will get a club in desperate need of an identity and a way of how to play football. He will get a, a, a club full of young players who um, need to be moulded. Um, there's a British core there as well. Plus, on top of that, he's got exceptional players like Pogba. So as a personal development point of view, I think it probably makes sense for Pochettino. On a personal level, of course, I'd be horrified that if he went. And I've been kind of upset as well, by the way, um, the media has been almost presenting him to um, the Man United board as this is your option, this is who you should hire. It's like they don't even have to go out and interview anybody because Sky and the rest of them have interview- already interviewed and done all the scouting for them. So that's that leaves a little bit of a bit of taste. So I, I think for Pochettino, on a personal development level, it probably makes sense. Personally, I hope it doesn't happen. So following on from the point you just made then about the media, I was quite pleased to see Enia Luko's column in The Guardian, the headline of which was Maurizio Pochettino should reject United and make history at Spurs. And the article's excellent. She's she's written it. I, I assume she's written it. Whether it's ghostwritten, I don't know. But it's, it's very, very well written. Um, makes some really good points that essentially he's now laid down the gauntlet to the Tottenham board. You back me and there's no problem. You back me and we become a, a title-winning force like Manchester United. He's made, he's he's gone out into the press and he's said Spurs need to operate in a different way now. We've, we've done what we've been doing for five years and it's got to a certain point, but something now has to change for us to kick on. Every Spurs fan knows that to be the case. We hope that moving into the new stadium allows it to be the case. But history tells us with for example, Arsenal's stadium move, that it's difficult when you first move in and you have big loans hanging over you to to keep to, to, to spend and, and to keep in touch with the big hitters. How do you feel this is going to pan out, Nathan? <laughs> well, the, the, the links have dramatically died down over the last week or so, haven't they? There was an awful lot of conversation about it. And then, um, you know, maybe as a result of United's performances, um, and, uh, this is the first article I've seen in a long time. Is it his management of the press as well and the way he's handled it? Possibly. He did give some sort of slightly uh, vague answers initially, didn't he, Poch, you mm. know, And then more recently, he's come out with this 20 years quote, which is also similar to stuff he's said before in the past. So sort of going back onto his his main route of saying that he's he's especially happy here and he could spend his career here. I think we have to uh, take comfort from that to be honest. We should. It makes sense. That you know, that'd be the rational reaction, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm more confident that he'll stay at this point than I was before. I mean I've always been confident that he'll stay, but I feel like he he's completely right in what he said in terms of throwing down the gauntlet to Levy, asking to be backed. I don't necessarily think he's going to be backed in in January to the extent that I thought a month ago, partly because we failed to get players out so far. Um, we'll come on to that in a bit. But let's go back to the United game briefly. Um, how are you feeling in preparation to this game? United, obviously, on a bit of an upward turn. They've got the new manager bounce. Pogba's been declared fit. Buddy, what do you think is going to happen in this match? I mean, United were very smart in the way they got rid of Mourinho. They um, they ensured that Solskjaer had the easiest set of fixtures he could possibly have to get started. But um, having watched um, most of the game against Newcastle, I'm still I don't think Solskjaer's fixed anything. He's maybe got a few players in a better mood, Pogba perhaps, Martial. 
but I still think the same failings are there with Man United. I don't think Lukaku is as mobile or as, as threatening as he used to be. And the, the weaknesses in defence still exist. So perhaps there'll be a slightly better team than the one we faced at Old Trafford. But I still think on the counter-attack uh, with Kane up against their centre-backs, I still think there's there's enough there for, for, for me to be fairly confident in this game and not fear Man United like I did maybe 10 years ago. And Nathan, what are your feelings about this game? Particularly interested on how you think our midfield will cope with Paul Pogba. Yeah, so I've I've previewed this game for twelve, and I I highlighted the the Pogba situation. So we're likely to again play the diamond, or at least a three-man midfield, which means we'll play Sissoko to the right side, and United will match that with Pogba to the left side, which means they'll be up against one another for a lot of the match, and that's a bit of a scary thought. We've seen Pogba um, bully a, a, a fit Moussa Dembele before, which is quite something. Um, I think that Sissoko, um, as we saw against Chelsea, is used to physically dominating everyone he comes up against. And like we've seen with Davinson, when that very rarely gets turned on his head, he maybe doesn't have a means of coping with that situation. So I'm I'm scared about the physical battle between the two of them. And then also Pogba's movement and his creativity and his technical brilliance. So I think as a team, Spurs are superior. You know, we've got so much more experience under our manager. We've got a, a better developed system and a way of playing. But that, that, that Pogba um, factor throws things off. I mean, I'd, I'd just like to comment on that that I think the last time we saw Pogba really dominate Dembele was in the semi-final and that wasn't peak Dembele and I think there's enough difference in the way Sissoko and Dembele plays that the fact that Sissoko is like a, a, a Roman destroyer and the fact he won't want to hold on to the ball and he he'll disrupt the play get it and then shift it I think that will help him in his battle against Pogba I, I don't think Pogba because I don't think one because I don't think Sissoko has a, a style of play for Pogba to disrupt anyway but I think um, Sissoko will be up against Pogba and he will put Pogba off his track more than Sissoko will be. So I, I'm not too I'm not too worried about that battle there. I, if it was Dembele, I'd be concerned because Dembele, we know how he likes to play. Sissoko is just, he's a, he's a Roman, he's a tactical um, wrecking ball that you just chuck into their uh, their best players and the ball pops up and hopefully winks and Ericsson can then pick up the pieces. Well, this is it. Those, those quick transitions are going to be crucial again. And this is the last game that we have Son Heung-min, before he goes off to uh, play for his country, I think he's absolutely vital in this match. In the same way that United are relying on Rashford to trouble our centre-backs with his movement, we are relying on Son to to very much do the same. And if we can get the ball into the channels quickly to him, then I think we can have huge success. If we don't, I'm a little bit worried about... (laughs) where the goals come from to be honest yeah I would um, like Lucas to be fit and an option off the bench because <laughs> he does he does give us something similar to to Sun and very different from Lamella so I think he would be a great player to have to have fit but I'm not sure if he'll make it he's being assessed I understand today um so we'll know more we'll, he'll either be on the bench or he won't I guess but Son did look a bit knackered against Chelsea in all honesty. We've, we've, he's another player that we've really uh, flogged over the past month and he's understandably tired. He's then going to go off and play a whole bunch of games for his country and come back knackered again. So Lucas is going to be crucial over the next four to six weeks in so many different ways. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss uh, so, so are you confident about the outcome of this game Bardi? Uh, yeah I think so I, as always with United I think whoever scores first will then be able to play their counter-attacking style um, okay. I, I, I'm, as I said I'm not it's not the United of 10 years ago that would have me scared and con- really concerned we've got good results against them recently um, so yeah I'm fairly confident about this and Nathan, one final thought. Do you think we're going to roll out the same back four or do we rotate in Foyth and or Walker-Peters for this? Uh, I haven't really... Yeah, I, I, I think I think we just go ahead the same again. I haven't really thought about the possibility of a back three this game and I think that's something interesting to think about um, but not something I can just do quickly off the top of my head now mm. um, just because of the way uh, United shape in differently between defence and attack. Uh, that's just an interesting thought to to sort of to come back to at a later time. Back three is probably not going to happen because, as we've discussed before, Poch is more keen on getting his eleven best players on the pitch at any one time, sure. and that would mean well, unless you play Delhi in midfield, I guess he's looked he looked really good there uh, in the in, in the cup match against Tranmere, then also in the second half against Chelsea, I thought he was really great when he dropped to midfield. That's possible. I think it's unlikely. I think it'll be the, the narrow diamond, like you say, again. OK, let's move on. Let's talk a little about uh, the transfer window since we're still in January. And the most recent link is Florian Grilich, uh, who would naturally be nicknamed Jack, where he to sign. Uh, he plays for oh. Hoffenheim. Nathan, you, you had a bit of a Twitter thread about him. What, what would you like to say about him? Yeah, I looked up some of his statistics and was impressed. I couldn't find a huge amount of footage. The one game that I did share was from back when he was at... Werder? Uh, Werder, thank you. Werder Roman. Um, you weren't especially impressed with that, and I don't blame you. Um, since then, I've had a chat with uh, a- uh, Abel, which uh, he's at BundesPL, so he covers both Bundesliga and the Premier League. And he had a, he, I will share this conversation, I'll screenshot, it for Twitter later, but he he was very convincing about Grilich's skill set, his inability. Um, he's now mostly playing as a as the deepest midfielder, and so that's probably where we're looking at. But I get the feeling that we are looking at players who can maybe be a Wanyama and maybe be a Dembele, and sort of we'll get them in, and then we'll work out what we do with them depending on what kind of squad we have at that time. That's that's reassured me somewhat that someone who's an expert in German football is is big on him because that footage did nothing to convince me that he's um, any better than what we've already got. And I, I, I know his numbers are okay. 
his numbers are good, but his numbers are very similar to Nabil Bentaleb's, and we decided that <laughs> as a club that Nabil Bentaleb is, is not good enough, he's not elite, etc., etc. If we're signing then players who are roughly the same age as Bentaleb and have similar numbers, then I kind of think, what's the point, you know? Um, but I guess he's he's relatively cheap at, what, was it 18 million? Um, I suppose in, in today's market, that's relatively cheap. We're, we're getting rid of Dembele in this transfer window, it seems. He's, he's, he's all set to go to China for... Beijing Guan, I think it's pronounced, in sure. 11 million transfer. Um, we'll need some cover. I'd rather that cover be Oliver Skip at this point, but if, if Pochettino still doesn't have full faith in Skip then and he wants to sign Grilich, then I guess the the risk is low. But do you, do you know anything about Grilich? How do you feel about his transfer? Um, I don't like his name. don't like Florian. <laughs> <laughs> Florian Radichoy used to wind me up a lot back in the day. Uh, so don't sign him. Okay. That's convincing as well. That's um, I, I get the impression he scored a lot of goals for the Austrian, I think it was under-19s. So I get the impression he's was an attacking midfielder who has since moved back uh, as, he, as he's got older. And I always find that interesting in a player. It makes you think, what, what, why haven't you stayed in that attacking midfield position? Why are you moving well, back? Well, Moussa Dembele was sort of famously a, a number 10 uh, in his youth. So I... I, I and and Luka Modric used to play in a more advanced role. Tony Cruz used to play in a more advanced role. So um, I think it's a path that a lot of very Pirlo. Uh, it's a it's a path that a lot of very good players have have taken. Yeah, you just mug, you've just mugged me right off my own podcast. <laughs> Ryan Mason scored fifty goals as a as an under under what under fifteen at Spurs or something. Barney, stop! I'm already dead. I'm already dead. <laughs> um, Although I don't, I don't take the Dembele comparison on board because it took us like four years to find his niche as That's well. That's true. So I'm not, I'm not willing to wait four years to work out whether Florian Grilich can be the best uh, ball progressor in the, in the, in Europe. To be honest, and I would, I would also like to plant a little red flag here that Nathan has compared Grilich to Andrea Pirlo. I think that needs to be flagged. <laughs> no, that's not what I did. Taking this sound snippet, and I'm going to save that and <laughs> use it at some point in the future. <laughs> You're you're a dangerous man, Barney. Very never dangerous for, man. Hashtag never forget. <laughs> <laughs> so in in the article that Dave Heitner wrote, so Dave Heitner works for the Guardian. He has good contacts at Spurs. He wrote the article about Moussa Dembele leaving Spurs to join uh, the Chinese team for eleven million. He also wrote that Pochettino doesn't expect to make any signings this month, but we're looking, and that it's likely there'll be further outgoings. And he mentioned Victor Wanyama. GK and Kudu, Vincent Janssen, Fernando Llorente and Michelle Vorm. I think that's interesting. So this week, Vorm has been linked with Leeds, which does or doesn't make sense with Bielsa there. Llorente um, yeah. has scored a hat-trick, has been linked with a return to Bilbao. Vincent Janssen's played for the under-23s, declared himself fully fit and clearly is on the lookout for a new club. And kudu has been linked with all sorts as well. So are these moves actually going to happen? Are we going to be able to shift some of this deadwood finally? I think if we can get, like, you know three of the six out the door then we'll be you know we'll be making some progress and clearing some room and um and and clearing some funds as well um committing hours of my time to scouting players that i also can't sign is something that i love to do with my own time so i understand the club's desire to do that <laughs> buddy do you have faith that we can get rid of some of these players yeah it's kind of heartbreaking though that Wanyama's on this list with such a bunch of deadwoods because he he was a great player for that first season he joined us, but you know his knees are no longer the same. But the rest of them, if they go, then then good. I'm not gonna cry. Get them out of your football club. Get them out. Yeah, um, we're gonna end with a couple of questions. Um, 
We'll start off with one for Bardi from Stefan Freund 3. The new dark arts we are employing when managing games out, Kane's injury, etc., i.e. when he was kind of faking against Chelsea. Do you think this is any way related to Poch talking about the way we operate and is this something Poch is ed- educating our players in? Bardi, as an Italian football fan, uh, Italians notoriously the masters of the dark arts, how do you feel about this new tactic and do you think it's Poch related? Well, I, I think you find the Argentinians are masters of the dark arts. They just don't hide it as well as the Italians. <laughs> they, they, they just do it. But um, when Kane went down, I was... A part of me was like, oh my God, he, Kane is injured, we're in trouble. But then you kind of realise that he's not actually injured, he's just being a captain and being very clever. And it's, it's about time we started being a bit smarter. We talk about Lamella um, winding up opposition players and getting stuck in, but it, it hasn't really helped us anywhere because most of the time the ball's dead or it's after the final whistle has gone. So it, it's great to see Kane um, realise that we're under pressure and run the clock down and just give um, Pochettino time to talk to his players and just change things around. So no, it's all, I'm all good. It's not exactly cheating anyway, really. Is it? It's not like he um, um, dived or anything like that. He, so he might have fine. been really hurt. <laughs> he might have been. Uh, next one is a follow-up from our last podcast. So this is from Mark Lynch, who is a regular contributor. Thank you, Mark, for your support once again. He says, why does Wendy think that Toby has dropped off? He's been our best, most consistent player this season. Also, why are Rose's performances rated better than they actually are? While the reverse seems to be the case for Davis, who has been the main starter in our highest finishes. So if I just quickly address my um, comments on Toby from the last pod, and then I'll throw out the the Rose part to to you guys. Um, I did mention that that Toby had dropped off. Um, It was a bit of a throwaway comment. I think he's actually been really, really good in the last few games. But I don't, I don't accept that that particular that his recent performances show that he's been as good as he was, say, two seasons ago, where he was the best defender in the country. Um, so I think my my comments that he's dropped off were fair, um, but I totally accept that he's been excellent recently, and I'm, I'm glad and long may that continue. Um, he also struggled on the left when when he first started playing there once Vatton got injured. But he seems to have settled into that a bit more now. But but Nath, how do you feel about this comment about Rose's performances being rated more highly than they deserve, and the reverse of Davis? Yeah, I we're a few weeks on, you know, from from Rose being back both to fitness and seemingly desire. And I thought by now we'd have sort of an answer as to whether we were getting our old Danny Rose back and it's still a bit up in the air. Um, as regards to sort of the perception of others, I'm not sure and I, I can't comment on what they're thinking but um, I am a little concerned that well, I'm a little concerned but I'm also a little relieved that it's still up in the air with Danny. And Barney as the secretary of Danny Rose fan club how do you feel about this? Um, I think the thing is they're, they're two very different players Danny Rose is very combative he gets forward he dives into tackles whereas Davies by his nature is much more of a reserved um, left back so automatically if you're just scanning the game or you're just watching it for blood and thunder you're going to think Danny Rose is having a better match because he's getting involved and he's charging up and down the pitch um, I thought against Chelsea he was great I thought in in moments where we struggled he came in with a big challenge or an interception and he he, he was up against a, a young winger who um, who is the first time I've seen him play properly and who, who looked great and I think Rose kind of shackled him pretty well so I don't know Rose is a better fullback than um, than Davies that's just a fact that's just how he is his makeup how he plays as a footballer suits Pochettino better so I don't know Davies has been fine he's been 
good, but Danny Rose, I fit Danny Rose is is twice the player Ben Davies is. The, the thing is, Rose's highs are so much higher than Davies's highs, but Rose's lows are lower than Davies's lows. Yeah, but we're not talking about Serge Aurier kind of lows, where <laughs> or Kieran Trippier kind of lows, where it costs us costs us goals. Well, still, well, are, are we definitely not? Because he's when he's played really badly, he's Rose can be horrendous, and and he gets into those mindsets sometimes where every time he gets the ball, he just whips in across aimlessly to no one, and that is that's a possession black hole that we could do without. I, um, I yeah, I, I agree with that. That's perhaps. Um, the other fullbacks are a bit more conservative in their crossing, but I don't think we have a fullback who covers behind the centre backs quite as well as Danny Rose. There was at least two occasions on on Tuesday night where a crosser came in, and out of nowhere, um, Rose is there to clear it. I don't think Trippier would have done the same. Uh, let think... me just let me just correct you on that because Trippier made some <laughs> fantastic. I am going to big up Trippier. He made some really impressive back post interventions, and I was thinking. Who is this new right back we've got? This is—I've never seen him do that before, and I was really, really pleasantly surprised by that. To be fair, yes, I—I I rem- I remember those occasions as well. Yes, on Tuesday, yes, but um, yeah, I still think yeah, there's a stat out there. You go find it. That I think Danny Rose has probably been at fault for less goals than Trippier and Aurea, maybe in the last year or so, according to games played, obviously. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Um, it's just his reliability. Isn't it with Rose? It's just such a shame that we can't re- fully rely on his fitness. Yeah, but then there's a lot of players who you equally talk about. We can't rely on Lamella's fitness either, but you seem willing to give Lamella the benefit of doubt. I think oh. we need to give Rose time. He's playing, he's starting to play regularly. He's, uh, he's a, a proper squad option for us now. I think we need to revisit this in a month to see how many more games he's played and then f- take it from there. I'm just Googling whether snakes hibernate, but apparently they don't. So I, think we're, <laughs> I think we're probably okay. Um, guys, before we end, can I just get um, s- something from you for further reading? And I'll, I'll start to give you some thinking time. I listened to Connor Roden, who is at RodenJRSG on Twitter, one of the best people to follow on Twitter if you're interested in uh, English footballers particularly young ones um he was on the not the top 20 pod which is a very professionally presented and um, produced pod it's really really well really well done thing he was on a two-part special about youth development particularly focused on the football league and it is absolutely fascinating highly recommend that it's it's basically two hours worth of of chat about youth footballers and it's fascinating he's incredibly knowledgeable so yeah get listening Bardi, how about you um I'm not going to go Serie A. It's my it's not my New Year's resolution, but um, I'm quite excited by a book that was released this week. It's called The Club. It's um, written by Jonathan Clegg, and it's about the formation of the Premier League and how it became the richest, most destructive business in sport. And apparently, it features interviews from the boardroom from John W. Henry, Daniel Levy, Martin Edwards, David Gill, um, Wenger, Kroenke, all these guys. So he's got access to some big dogs, yeah. and it, it looks really good. Looks interesting. I downloaded it today, and I'm looking forward to getting getting started with it. Nice. Okay. And how about you, Nathan? Um. I can't find it. Rowden is brilliant, by the way. And uh, yeah, you should all follow his stuff. Um, I haven't got a football one, but I do. I did read an article uh, last night on weight loss by an American football writer called uh, 
Bill Barnwell uh, titled The Easiest Way to Lose 125 Pounds is what I gained 175 pounds. Um, yeah, again, not even vaguely sport related, but it just uh, struck a lot of chords with me, and I really enjoyed reading it. Nathan, have we have we ever spoken of your weight loss on this podcast and celebrated? I it? think I've mentioned it a couple of times in passing. Yeah. How much have you lost now? So I've now lost um, over a hundred pounds, which is seven stone or forty five kilograms. I mean, that's not far off one of me. You've so, shed, uh, you shed a windy. I wish I could do that. Uh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> take these knives out of my back i mean i was gonna be nice about nathan <laughs> nathan terrific achievement mate um you look great for it and i'm very proud Thank of you mate. well done well done nathan right let's Cheers, let's man. leave it there lads uh we'll be back very soon i'm sure the band back together now um follow us at the extra inch on twitter email us at the extra inch at the fighting cock uk thank you very much see you soon it's the fighting Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.